Let's talk a little bit about a couple of court cases that caught my eye, because this is quite something. I mean, what happens, ask yourself this, what happens to a dum-dum who does something really dumb and then gets hurt because he's dumb? Well, he sues, of course. (sighs) A streaker whose face and underwear-clad butt is all over the internet, but who is not releasing his name, has now hired a law firm... Because during the BC Lions home game opener on Saturday, decided that, well, what a great idea. I'm going to jump onto the field, sprint all over the place in my undies and crave all the attention. But then that's when defensive back Marcel Young decided to play defense with him, sending him flying. Thanks, dum-dum. Yep, he got rocked. It was a very clean hit. Well, you know, I guess had this thing gotten laughs, this young guy would be a social media sensation. But instead, the lawyers are now speaking out saying that he suffered serious injuries, including a mild traumatic brain injury. Now, Marcel Young is six foot, 190 pounds, went into this guy with his padded shoulder, shared a few fist bumps after with his teammates. But could this guy actually have a case? The lawyers seem to think so. But I mean, if you go out and you be dumb and you be mischief and you cause interference, aren't you asking for it? Let's ask a guy who would know Joe Newberger joining us. He is a Global News Radio legal expert. Hello there, sir. Hi, Alex. How are you? Well, I'm good. I kind of got a chuckle over this. Uh, I saw the video, which has, of course, gone viral. And it sounds really silly on its surface. But, you know, to think that you could actually get a case like this into court and sue the CFL because you were an arse doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't. Uh, You know, you would imagine that when somebody does something stupid like that and they go onto a field where they know they're trespassing and, you know, potentially they're putting players at risk, that they're voluntarily assuming that risk. And therefore, if they if they get tackled by one of the defensive ends, uh, you know, you suffer the consequences of your own dumb actions. The difficulty, though, is there is, you know, some legal uh, legitimacy to an individual who still may be doing something dumb and maybe even doing something illegal. And as we've seen, if somebody's under arrest or about to be arrested and excessive force is used, regardless of the criminal act, if Mm -hmm. the force is disproportionate to what was required, there may be a cause of action uh, for this person. Because when I watched the video a couple of times and I got over the ridiculousness of this, it looks like the impact is fairly significant, and the guy goes down pretty hard. So I'm yep. not sure if the helmet came into contact with this guy's head. So he might have su- sustained some fairly real injury. However, and- did he not put himself into that situation? Because I guess you can look at this case, Joe, and say, well, uh, you know, I go to a football game and I expect to be safe. But nowhere on the ticket does it say, if you decide to jump over the rail in your underwear to get attention and interfere with a game and make an ass of yourself, uh, you could get hurt. I mean, to me, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, because you're normal. Well, <laughs> somewhat. Yeah, you know, it, it's common sense, and sometimes the law doesn't always operate that way. But, you know, if there's something excessive which is done, which is not called for in the circumstances, then, you know, you may be able to make an argument that there's some liability there. And I think there's some some argument to that. Maybe the bigger issue is damages. The idiot yeah. uh, took this upon himself whatever damages he may have may be minor. And, you know, this really isn't worth the paper that it's written on as mm-hmm. far as as far as far damages. So I don't see this as any type of serious lawsuit. And part of the argument will be a voluntary assumption of risk. You're lig- literally making a conscious decision to put yourself uh, in a place where you should not be, 
where there are players and people who can seriously hurt you mm-hmm. if they're in play. Imagine if you're running around while they're in play. And, you know, if you get tackled by somebody there because you're disrupting the game and you're truly trespassing, you know, it's 50% your fault, if not more. So really, if there is some sort of liability issue, what we're talking about here is not a lot of money. It's really not worth a lawsuit. And, and it's just absolute silliness. But that's sometimes where the law goes. Yeah, of course, in the CFL, you know, it might be cheaper for them just to settle and make the guy go away. But that, again, that's, you're, you're absolutely right. That's the issue. Rather than litigating, you pay a nuisance fee to the person and just yeah. make it go away because dollars and cents, it's not worthwhile. No. And Dum Dum will likely still pay a lot of prices for other stuff. Let's talk yeah. about a case that uh, is a big headline. We'll get bigger, I think, as we get closer to the actual case itself. But we're talking about a Canadian who is accused of uh, plotting to blow up Times Square. This was back yeah. in 2016. And his mom is arguing that he cannot be a terrorist because he's got mental illness. And this yeah. is a case, Joe, where he's facing a life sentence. He's going to be tried in New York. They do not look at this kind of case the way we do in Canada, where we seem to be more empathetic and, um, you know, you can go hide behind things like the not criminally responsible, et cetera, those kinds of um, uh, ways of fighting these. But she claims she has documents to prove that he had bipolar disorder, brain damage from smelling things like air freshener and bug spray. But here she is with her husband, um, you know, defending her son. Take a listen. Do we not have that clip? Okay, we don't have that clip. Sorry. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know, what What would the defense of this kind of thing be in a New York court? I mean, do they do they tend to look at these kinds of things the way we do? It's different. And let me sort of start from the premise of how we understand mental illness and its relation to criminal acts, Canada and the United States, just to try and help. Because I have a great sensitivity towards this. I, I'm actually right now in the midst of a very serious NCR case. And I have great sensitivity towards people who have true mental illness. Mm-hmm. And, and NCR findings do not result in just an easy path through a system. But we have to draw a distinction in civilized right. society between those who are truly suffering from major mental illnesses as opposed to those who act willfully to hurt others. Whether it's murder, terrorism, or theft, we have to be very careful about how we treat mental illness. So in Canada, we have... Uh, you know, a very defined process, and we have a defined test that has to be met in order for someone to be found not criminally responsible. It's not simply enough, both in Canada and the United States, to be suffering from mental illness. So if it's bipolar that results in psychotic episodes, and there is a brain injury that results in diminished cognitive abilities, the person can be quite influenced by other materials, become obsessed by it, almost form delusional beliefs about it, And that would be um, possibly one explanation as to why they did what they did. The difficulty is, both in Canada and the United States, is is the defense able to establish that because of that mental illness, the person was robbed of the capacity to appreciate the nature and quality of their acts or that it was morally and legally wrong? Mm -hmm. These are the issues. They're, They're a bit more tougher on in the United States, but they also have other stuff like momentary insanity we do not have here. Right. But... Even if found insane, he can still face a life sentence in a jail much different than it is in Canada. And you're absolutely right. They treat this extremely seriously in the United States. To some extent, they don't have a well-developed, as far as I'm concerned, concept of how to deal with mental illness and criminal law. We've come a long way in Canada over the last decade and have made great strides in that regard. But in the United States, this is going to be a very polarizing situation. Um, but if the evidence is legitimate and cogent, 
that he suffered from these very serious issues, mm-hmm. then there is a defense that could be mounted that, in fact, this formed a, a, a mental illness that robbed him of the capacity to appreciate what he was doing was wrong. And he was just simply enveloped in some form of a, a psychosis or delusion of which ISIS and, yeah. and the threat enveloped him. And I can see that happening. Yeah, I can too, because it seems that that is the go-to defense when dealing with these, as they call them, lone wolf, uh, you know, attacks or or um, attempts. Uh, and so I'm not sure then if uh, the courts are, and I, I hate to use kind of the sloppy language, are becoming more, um, you know, hip to it and, and understanding that, yeah, this is kind of what we're going, every time we see one of these cases, we go to the same, it must be mental illness. So everyone could use that defense Uh, You know, if their kid went abroad to fight, you could say, well, it was a momentary, uh, there was some kind of, must have been a mental illness. But again, as you say, you better be able to prove it because it's not enough to say, well, my kid was sniffing um, air freshener. Um, You would have to be able to show documentation that there's a long um, sustained pattern and trend and doctor treated illness. It, It is a very heavy onus to establish. In Canada, we have to establish that defense uh, on a balance of probability. And I'm in the middle of the case with four experts right now. It is a very significant onus. You have to have very significant uh, psychiatric, forensic psychiatric evidence. Uh, In our case, it includes assessments, psychological assessments, uh, psychiatric assessments, uh, documentation, collateral information. It is a heavy burden to meet. It would be the same in the United States. And so it it may be sort of the go-to or timely type of defense, but the reality is it ain't going to fly if there's no legitimacy to it. The only ones that will fly will be legitimate, and it is significant to establish. So nobody's going to get a pass who commits a terrorist act because they just simply raise the ire of of insanity, because in many cases, lone wolves do get radicalized because of the social media. And they're simply acting willfully and volitionally, and they are criminally guilty. Yeah. Well, that case starts in a month, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Joe, thanks so much. I hope I didn't talk too much. I hope Never. I Never. <laughs> Better you Alex. talking than me. <laughs> Have a great show. You too. That is Joe Newberger uh, joining us uh, tonight. So, yeah, that starts in a New York uh, courtroom next month, and it will get headlines, and certainly people here watching it. I'm Alex Pearson, and this is Global News Radio.